What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? If you'd like to support the show and help us tell more stories like the one you're about to hear, please visit crazyfaceuno.com today to purchase items from our online store or to donate. As always, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. It's my honor and privilege to introduce our guest today. His name is Travis Gallinger. Welcome, Travis. Welcome back. Hey, hey, you ready to knock this shit out? That's right. That's right. Yeah, if you're listening, so we, this is a to be continued. This is the continued part of our first part. So we just did the little intro and you, you got a new intro. Um, but we just stopped it and, and we're going to re record. We're recording and continuing on with the story that we left off with uh, the other day um, that you potentially listened to the other day. Today is the same day for us. And just a few minutes later, we used the restroom and rehydrated and we're ready to go. Um, Travis, so if somebody's picking up uh, right in the middle of it, we were just talking about, we, we, we started back at the beginning, you are an imagery analyst for the U.S. government, um, you are a Marine, and you were telling us the story of like childhood uh, to, to present day, and, and we just left off uh, with, your, with you being uh, deployed to Afghanistan, and the first time uh, you had ever been shot at. And you kind of talked about that adrenaline rush and, and that experience and how there's nothing that really compares to it. Um, so could you set the scene for us a little uh, again and, and then continue on with your story? Sure. So we're actually going to backtrack a little bit from the first time I got shot at. So we're going to go to the day before. The okay. day before I had been, your typical patrol is about, four kilometers four hours you move pretty slow you're pretty vigilant you observe things post patrol brief all that good stuff so it was it was an evening patrol and i say evening as in like we got in just before dark so get in just before dark and we had heard that there was potentially an operation that we were going to be doing um later on in the evening but then we were told it wasn't going to happen. So I was like, all right, well, it's dark now. It's probably, I don't know, 10, 10 o'clock. And so I laid down on my cot because that's what I was sleeping on. I was sleeping in a sleeping bag on a cot in a tent with no AC and no heat. Okay. So um, it was about 11 o'clock. And my boss comes up and kicks my rack as he usually did every morning because I was the young millennial that slept in every morning. <laughs> so I was awoken by a kick on the cot. Hey, usually it was something like, hey, wake up shitbag or, I don't know, something derogatory. <laughs> and uh, so he said, hey, wake up. And I knew he, he was nice, so I knew there was something going on. He was like, hey, wake up. We have an operation going on. And... We need to get ready to go. So we sit around for about an hour. We get ready. We throw all our stuff on, and we're waiting to get this brief. And I think we stepped out. We we finally left the base at, like, 
I don't know, midnight, one o'clock. And the operation was to go raid this house that we thought was a bad dude. And uh, I was going to be one of the security elements. So mind you, as we said in the last podcast, um, this was a pretty new unit. They'd only been there a week or two. And where, so exactly, where are you in Afghanistan? Just so if you I'm in, to me in. Marja, Marja, I guess, Marja District, Kandahar Province. Okay. I think that's the way it works. Anyway, Marja, Afghanistan. It was the main priority in 2010 of the government. Gotcha. And uh, so it takes us, I think we only had to go about three kilometers. It took us like five hours to get there. Which is ridiculous. It's way too slow. Yeah. So is that, is that walking or is that? Yeah, that's that's walking. So okay. mind you, I'd been up all day. I'd gone on a four kilometer um, patrol already in the Afghan heat. This was probably June-ish, and so it's it's in the hundreds every day, and I haven't slept. So I'm going on. I don't know, 24 hours-ish. And we finally get to this compound, and we set up security. It's still dark. And my Afghan army, who I'm there to train, they're, we're all sitting in there, sitting in, like, ditches, and we've got defilade and, and cover. And some of them keep falling asleep, and I'm picking up rocks, and I'm throwing rocks at them. And I'm like, sleep no good, sleep no good. Because that's the way they talk. That's what they understand. Yeah. And... I'm laying there in what we call the prone. So I'm laying down and I'm looking down my scope, just uh, not looking down the scope, but I'm looking over my rifle, just observing my surroundings. And next thing I know, uh, I get hit with a rock. Uh, Ranger, they called me Ranger because they couldn't pronounce Gallinger. Ranger, Ranger, sleep no good, sleep no good. I had fallen asleep. (laughs) (laughs) And I got hit with rocks just like I was doing with them. (laughs) So... At least we, you guys had each other's back. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that was the connection that I made with these guys. Like these guys I would I would have happily given my lives for these dudes and, mm. and I'm confident they would have done the same. Yeah. So and the if, sorry ahead. to interrupt, uh, Travis. And I, I was just thinking about this as you were telling the story. Um, one of the reasons that we we separated this and did this in two parts is that there's just part of the story and the story that you want to tell yourself. Um, and, and you mentioned before we got going the second part here that, you know, you want, you want this to be able to be something that other Marines and other people that have um, experienced maybe similar things to hear. Um, and so I just want to put that out there that it, this is something that you want to share. Yeah. The, so I'm, I'm a very, big advocate on mental health especially when it comes to our veterans and military members um for one because i've I've seen i I don't even know how many military members that i personally knew um lose their lives to suicide yeah and i i recently had uh one of my marines he he committed suicide Mm -hmm. and i'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired of seeing it. So 
Yeah. Another misconception, not misconception, another thing that we hear a lot from veterans, especially those that, that have deployed, is um, they don't they don't talk about what they went through. And I, I totally understand that concept, but I've kind of been I I want I wanted to buck that. Because to me, the people that you love, the people that are there for you, the people that want to support you and, and figure out what the hell you went through, don't know what you went through until they know what you went through. Yeah. So, and I, I do think that is an important part. And I'm saying this because I'm, I'm a person that has been through these things, suffered through these things by myself, and then have learned to since talk about it and and help my family and my friends and my loved ones understand. Yeah. So that's why, like, it sucks to talk about it. It hurts to talk about it. Um, I may get emotional talking about this shit, but how do you expect people to understand how to help you if, if they don't know what you're going through? Yeah. And, and that's the thing that I ask every, everybody that's gone through, anything like this to ask themselves like you're not tough because you're suffering in silence like mm. you're tough when you as we just talked about yesterday like when you get the things out yeah that's that's the hard part that's the hard part is talking about it and letting other people know yeah. and it's somewhat relieving like you still have to live with it mm-hmm. it still sucks but that's why my my parents know what I've been through. My brothers know what I went through. Yeah. My best friends know. And I've made it a point to every woman that is in my life that that I granted I've had many failed relationships. But the ones that I've I've wanted to have serious relationships with, these are the things that I've told them because I want them to know too. Yeah. Because it, it never goes away. But yeah. anyway. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. And thank you for, you know, your willingness to share it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an honor to be able to share your story today and to help you, you know, hopefully help other people, uh, along the way. I, I, uh, I think that's very admirable and I think it's, it's very brave and courageous of you to do. And so thank you. I appreciate it as well. Well, I, I'm just happy to have to be able to utilize you, somebody I haven't talked to in quite some time, to utilize your platform to get it out there. No so, problem. Anytime. Um, no, it's great. All so right. So back to the story. I sorry to interrupt. I just I wanted that to I wanted people to know kind of your heart behind it, you know, it's something we had talked about, but I, I think that it's important for people to understand that and to know that and know that I'm not probing um disrespectfully, but I, I this is this is a conversation you wanted to have, so. Yeah, for sure, and uh, I I think it was a great it was a good segue. Um, Perfect. So anyway, sitting there, I just got a rock thrown at me. Uh, Travis, you're a piece of shit. You fell asleep. Wake up, says the Afghan. Um, so the raid force goes in, does what they do as usual. I mean, it's Marine Corps intelligence, so those two things don't really mesh very well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we we are the Marine Corps. So uh, we decide to do our egress, which is egress back to base. And in the meantime, um, I don't know why this things kind of get fuzzy 
here. So mm-hmm. bear with me. But for Can some reason. Can I ask reason, you a question? Are you in charge at this point in time? or No. Are there like I'm, other leaders? Okay. You have other leaders in, and other. In the grand scheme of things, like there's like every other Marine. Then there's me. And then there's the Afghan forces. Like okay. I'm. And not even that. Like there's like any lieutenant in the Afghan forces would outrank me to be completely honest. And yeah. even some of their first sergeants, if we wanted to get technical. Yeah. But, but, and that'll actually come into play later on in the story. Okay. So, um, we decided to egress and, and RTB, which is return to base. And for some reason, and I don't know why, I don't know if it was just this new unit didn't understand the lay of the land, didn't know where they were going, whatever it was. Um, mind you, there's only, I think there was four of us from my team. So my team, it was a Lieutenant, a gunny, I think a Sergeant, and then me, we had the most seniority in the area. We knew the area the best other than the Afghans. Okay. And at this point in time, how long had you been there? Oh, hours. Like hours. I mean, well, I mean, like in pre-dawn. Oh, in Afghanistan, four months. Okay, so you you'd been there for a good chunk three of time. months. Yeah, around three or four months. I mean, I would I would have to check some paperwork. But yeah, three or four months I had been there, and I I had patrolled the area before, um, so I I knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, so by this time the the sun is up, we're all done because we got the raid done just before. As soon as sun came up, uh, we were, we had forces in the house, clearing the house, yeah. and we were stepping off to return to base, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes after we went in the house. But it was just, it was taking so long to get back to base. And I remember um, we had decided to go on what's called a satellite patrol. So we split our forces up into two different units. And we were parallel to one another, but what it does is it just helps cover more ground. It helps. It's more security essentially. And I remember we're, we're walking down what we call this wadi. It was an irrigation canal and it was only maybe a foot and a half, two feet deep. And we're walking down it because I don't know, in, in hindsight, it's really stupid to walk down them, but we're walking down this and I remember up ahead of me, maybe a hundred yards, I see two compounds, uh, a compound to the left of this irrigation canal and a compound to the right of this irrigation canal. And up ahead of me, the, the canal, it goes straight and then it takes a right turn, a 90 degree right turn and then a 90 degree left turn. And it splits those two compounds. And in front of that irrigation canal, that, that irrigation canal ran ran to a, a road. So yeah. if I, I hope that helps draw the picture. But yeah. but as as I saw our first Marines, which were from the new unit, as I saw them enter into that alleyway via this irrigation canal, I see the the compound on on the right. It almost looked like it was a shed, but it, it had a like a thatched roof, so mm-hmm. like mud and hay. Yeah, I see it. I see it kind of shift from like left to right, and I see the the dust kind of 
drift off to the right. Yeah. And I'm thinking, to me, it, it looked like an RPG, but I knew it wasn't an RPG because I didn't hear two two booms. Yeah. Because when an RPG goes off, you hear boom from it launching and then boom from it exploding. Yeah. And the next thing I hear is doc, doc, doc. Yeah. So they were asking for a doctor, um, for a, a corpsman. And I knew that for whatever reason, I, I don't even know how I knew, but I, I knew that in my satellite patrol, we did not have a doc. Mm. So for whatever reason, I decided to sprint up there. So I sprinted up and immediately I'm, I'm in between these, these two compounds. And as I'm running up, I see this car with a dude hanging out. It, it almost looked like a, um, you sprinted to the compound. Yeah. I sprinted to the, the compound. Which, the one that you just described that you saw like dust. Yeah. Come. Like almost blow up. Yeah. Um, so I sprinted up there and it was almost like some, uh, What's what's the name of the movie with uh, with the kid that's playing football? Like, I want to say it's like Boys and Men, but I know that's just a band that I'm not thinking of. Anyway, I so know. I sprinted up there, and as I sprint up there, I see I see a car pass and like this dude hanging out the window, looking. And it what we came to find out is there was an IED placed on the corner of the compound, so. I guess what I failed to mention is we had gotten shot at previously mm-hmm. and, and we were in that, that irrigation canal because of it. And like I said, things are spotty, so I'm jumping around. Yeah. But, um, what, what was your, if you don't mind me asking again, I want, I want to just, this isn't, I want to make sure everybody knows, like I, I give my guests beforehand, like I, and I've told you the same thing. Like if there's anything that I ask, like you, all you have to do is tell me, like, I don't feel comfortable asking that or, or whatever. Like I, I have the utmost respect for my guests. So like, if this is too far, like just, just let me know. Or, you know, if, if I ever cross that line that you get, you have full, you're, you're uh, good, bro. Your full control, you but any, anything you need, go for it. Um, no, I, I just want to know, like, what was the a silly question in some ways but what was the indication that you were getting shot at like what did do you remember that like do you remember that like like oh shit like that like that like moment you i remember you said in the previous episode that we had talked about you would you kind of like hit the deck basically or like gone you know duck and cover kind of deal yeah so i kind of skipped over that yeah in in this session so after after the raid um, we start egressing, returning to the base, and we ended up getting shot at. And out there in Afghanistan, you have scouts everywhere. Like they'll they'll pay little kids to just walk around and then yeah. like go tell somebody like you know I counted this many people, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't long after that we had gotten shot at. We were just in a field, and um, the way you know, I mean, well, somebody that you don't know is shooting at you. Like your right. guys aren't shooting and it's consistent. Is it the so, indicators like they're hitting the ground? Is it like hitting the around you? Like the guys you know what I mean? we were fighting weren't even that accurate, dude. Like the guys we were fighting and I don't want to take anything away from anybody that might be listening that was there before me. But the guys that were there after the guys that were there when I was there 
they sucked at fighting. Yeah. They were just, they were fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way you know is you hear zings and cracks. Yeah. So the zings are like, it's going past you and the cracks are like, it's hitting the ground around you or hitting a rock or the zings are, it went above your head. Got it. Cracks are, that was close. Yeah. Um, so you're just hearing a bunch of zings. So nothing's really close. So we know that we can move. What are they, what are they shooting? What kind of um, weapons? They're shooting AK-47s. Okay. Which are inaccurate so, in and of themselves. Uh, agree and disagree. If yeah. you're within... So I've, I've shot the... I've shot everything that the Taliban at that time had in their arsenal, which yeah. was basically Russian weapons. So the AK-47 is a fantastic weapon. Yeah. As I've actually shot an AK-47. Yeah. Fun fact. So the ones that they had... And I, I used very used ones that were beaten to shit. Mm-hmm. If you are 200 to 250 meters, you can be pretty accurate with it. It's not a bad weapon. Yeah. Anything beyond, well, 250 to 300, if you have a good one, you can be pretty accurate. Gotcha. 300 and beyond, good luck. Yeah. Like, I'm not worried about you. Gotcha. And you get so used to hearing that out there. That you you can tell how far you can identify the weapon system for the most part. You can yeah. identify how far they are and all that. So you get used to it and okay. you understand. Um, so we knew that we weren't we probably weren't in any danger. But yeah, you drop down and you know those first couple seconds feel like a minute, two minutes. They they feel like forever. Yeah. And then you realize, well, I'm not really in any danger. So and and you use like. Uh, just indicators from elsewhere. Like I was in a tree line and I knew like I had leaves from way up high falling. And well, sure. I know that's not close so I can stand up like yeah. I have 10 yeah. feet. You're evaluating your surroundings and yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the OODA loop. Like the, I don't know if you're familiar with the OODA loop. Mm-mm. If not figure it out cause it's good stuff. <laughs> but, um, you, you do it whether you know it, that you do it or not. But, um, so you figure that out and that's that's what led us to um where we were in the story so yeah so i'm running up there and i'm i'm now in between these two compounds which are slightly offset from one another the one on my left is closer to the road than the one on my right or at least it's longer i don't remember which excuse me and on the i have two guys that are down on the left side and one that was originally down on the right side that moved himself to the left side. So that way he would be an easier casualty to assess. Yeah. So, um, immediately I realized that it was an IED and the guy in the front is probably logically going to be the one that's going to be hurt the worst. So I go up there and I assess him. I talk to him. I ask him how he's doing. I, I triage him. I look, to see if he he doesn't have anything major he's got like maybe a concussion and some maybe a little bit of shrapnel nothing crazy that he can't deal with himself so i i work myself back how how far away like when an iud goes off is it like you have to step right on it or like what is the trigger what is that trigger like range fortunately these guys like i said sucked at fighting yeah they they were terrible so they didn't set the iud in a place that was going to provide enough shrapnel to kill anybody. Okay. 
Um, so they were just fucking retarded. So what, what, I mean, this is, this is my ignorance. Like, I don't understand this. Uh, what, so like, what do you mean by that? Like, it, what is so, it like there's rocks around it or is there like, what is it? What's the shrapnel that would be like detrimental? Like what would be the, why wasn't this effective? I guess. So what they did is after they, after they got in their first firefight with us, they jumped in a car, they jumped on the road, and they they tried to do what they what we call backlay an IED. So they mm. know the probable route that we're going to take to get back to where uh, gotcha. our base is. So if you have a house and you're looking at it from the front, mm-hmm. they set an IED on the back right corner. Okay. But what they did, I think is they set it too far inside. They probably should have set it to the right side of the house mm-hmm. because, I mean, we're egressing. We're trying to get away from con- – we're breaking contact. They probably would have been okay with, like, throwing something, anything, on top of an IED in that alleyway and hitting us with it. But instead they set it on just the backside mm. corner of that house. So like if you're if you're hiding waiting for your buddy to come around the corner to scare him, that's yeah. where they would have hit it. Gotcha. And I think that's where they kind of fucked up is they they didn't set themselves up for success, but they didn't get killed either. So I mean yeah. that works. Yeah. Um which do you I mean, have to step right on it? No, you don't. So there's there's multiple different kinds of IEDs. This was what was called a uh, a command control IED, and which means they whatever they did, whether it was like it was some sort of remote controlled IED, whether it was mm. like a text to a phone. So they were watching. Was, yeah. You know, and there's wire IEDs where they, yeah. you know, it's it's literally connected by wire, that stuff. So they just they just didn't set it up properly. Sure. So I get to the second guy. I, I triage this guy. And this guy has similar wounds to the first guy. Nothing, everything superficial, nothing too crazy. So I get to the final guy. And this guy's a little more fucked up. And how? I, I don't know. Thing, maybe things ricocheted. Who knows? But um, this guy's got some leg wounds. He's bleeding pretty badly. Not not too bad. And I'll never forget this because he had the least, um, like he didn't, the first two dudes were concussed for sure. Mm-hmm. This guy didn't seem like he had a, a concussion because when I went, I, I saw he was bleeding. So I had to cut his pants open mm-hmm. to to see where the bleeding was come from, how bad it was. And I'll never forget it. So as Marines, we were boot bands. And they're they're basically like uh, cloth rubber bands with elastic in them. And we, we tuck our pants into them so that way it looks nice and neat. Yeah. And I'll never forget that this, this dude said, I whip out my knife. And he said, dude, don't cut my boot, my, uh, my boot bands. I've had these since boot camp. And <laughs> I, I laughed at him. I was like, you're good, dude. I, I got you. So I pulled his I I pulled his pants out of his boot band, and I actually ended up sticking it with my knife. <laughs> I I had so much 
so many juices running, I actually went too hard into his pants and I stuck it with my knife. Oh, no. And, and he, he actually reacted from it. All the stuff he had going, he actually yeah. reacted. Which is good, it. right? I mean, yeah, it is. It's good. So, me, <laughs> this is the first person I've ever treated in combat. Like, I, I put. I put a uh, um, tourniquet on him, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't really need to. I ended up taking it off because he didn't need it. Yeah, but um, you know, I, I mean, better safe than up. sorry, I, though, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. And so I wrapped. So on him his up. leg, like upper upper thigh, then. Yeah, it was it was his left leg. I think it was his left leg that was mostly jacked up, yeah. and he just had some shrapnel. So what it was is they they tend to put like. BBs or marbles or glass or whatever in their IDs, yeah. and so that way it provides shrapnel. Is there and, so like I just I have zero idea about any of this. So like, is it is there like a little bucket? Is there like what where does the like what is the IUD? Like we hear this we hear this on in the world all the time, right? In society, like yep. IUD, but like I have zero idea what it looks like. Well. Is it a canister? Is it a pipe? Is it a, like, what does it look like? And I know they're probably all different. Yeah, that is the key to the IED. An Mm. IED is an improvised explosive device. So it's whatever I can put an explosive in to harm you. It could Mm. be a cell phone. It could be a computer. It could be... They like to use uh, pressure cookers. Yeah. They like to use out there in Afghanistan. They get uh, they cook a lot with vegetable oil, and these vegetable this vegetable oil will come in a big cube shaped plastic containers. Yeah. And they'll they'll take those containers and they'll fill those full of homemade explosives. Yeah. And and they'll bury those in the ground. They'll okay. use um, artillery shells. They'll use anything they can get their hands on. Yeah. They. And that's, I can get all sorts into that, like trigger devices, things like that. Um, but they will use anything and everything and they, they will, they'll use plaster and paint things to look like rocks. Mm. Like it's the, it would boggle your mind, the extent and the intelligence that goes into what they use for these explosives. So I don't know what this one was. It, It wasn't very big. It was maybe... 10 15 pounds it, mm-hmm. it wasn't that big compared to what they're used to okay and then what is the is there a specific like is it you know dynamite is it what what is the like compound that they use to explode uh, well this is this is going to sound weird but it's called anal okay so it is uh aluminum nitrate and aluminum i think so on the on the um whatever table the Compound periodic table. table. Periodic table. There we go. It's aluminum is no uh, ammonium nitrate is or ammonium and nitrate. So it's like A N. Yeah. And then aluminum is A L. Yep. So we call it anal. And okay. They, so it's it's a fertilizer and aluminum sulfate. Okay. I think is all they need to do, and they they build all this stuff on their own. And is that easy to find, or is that is this stuff that they have to like? Well, that's why you see, you'll see a lot of pictures from earlier in the 2000s of uh, Marines confiscating, like we did it, like tons and, well, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of fertilizer because it's got ammonium nitrate in it. Mm. Ammonium nitrate helps the crops grow. 
And so this is again, just tell me, but where, who's supplying this to them? Dude, you can go buy fertilizer with ammonium nitrate in it right now. Yeah, I know you can. So I mean, I know and, you can here, well, but like, is that a common they, thing in Afghanistan? Is is there yeah, like, is it? I mean, a, a massive amounts of it. Like, is that something, or is it? Is it just the simple like little jug of it is enough? Um, I don't know the exact mixture. I was told once upon a time, but I don't remember. Sure. But it's, you know, when when you're the Taliban and you're getting funded by whoever and whomever like if you want it you can go buy it Mm -hmm. and um it's it's pretty easy to get a to get a hold of that stuff and the process that they have and um the area that we were was desolate enough that if they wanted to go have a compound or a a building that they wanted to go make this stuff out of it was pretty accessible yeah but okay what so what us as the government had to do was we had to make um fertilizer that didn't have ammonium nitrate and was just as as effective to provide we for farmers make, and yeah for, we we gotcha. had to make that stuff available sure so <clears throat> yeah so that's that's a whole process super interesting one of the reasons i want to get into eod as i said in the last podcast yeah um but so triage these guys and the all these dudes needed to be evacuated out so mm-hmm. we we call it evac so in order to do so you have to set up uh what we call an hlz which is a helicopter landing zone and fortunately right behind us there was this giant ass field yeah so so i help these guys i stick with these guys the whole time i get them on the helicopter and since i spoke the best posture and we only had one interpreter the interpreter typically stays with your highest ranking dude so it was my lieutenant at the time so that way he can command and control and whatever because he was the highest ranking individual out of um out of the entire patrol well unfortunately for that patrol the point man the squad leader and the assistant squad leader were the three guys that i went out that went down so that's that's number three, two or three, one and two. Sure. In in that order. So those guys being new to country, most of which hadn't deployed before, they didn't really know what to do. So I had three Afghans to me, and in my opinion, like I wasn't worried about the Marines. The Marines were going to take care of themselves. Next man up. So I took my Afghans and I went to. Uh, the same wadi, the same irrigation canal that we were running up, I went to that same canal to provide security because you need 360 security. So the birds, the helicopters start circling, and all of a sudden we start getting shot at. Yeah. And there are two compounds, maybe... So just like seeing the seeing the helicopters come in, they were like, yeah, here we go. They, they knew... Yeah, they knew they had casualties, so that's when they, that's when they're going to hit us. Yeah. So, um, there, I'm in this irrigation canal. It's a it's a tree line. It's not dense, but there's there's trees sporadically throughout this. Yeah. And uh, maybe a hundred meters in front of us, 150 meters in front of us, it's just open field. They had cleared it all out. And since they don't use like regular, they they use like animal tillers, like. 
old yeah, school yeah, like yeah. Amish stuff. You've seen it. Yep. The the roots are like on deep. the ox that like the yeah, it's, like they pull. Yep. Yeah, so they're when they till stuff up, it's deep and it's it's hard to run across. Sure. So um, there are two compounds. Ankle busters. Yes, exactly. There's two compounds, and it's probably those two compounds, those two buildings are probably 20 meters separation between the two of them. And I know we're getting shot at between one of them. And um, my E7, so who was the high enlisted, highest enlisted dude on my team, he was actually an R&R because our, our deployment was so long. So I had what's called this 203, which is the grenade launcher. Mm-hmm. So that is a 40 millimeter grenade launcher and I'm just chucking grenades at these dudes. And I finally catch sight of one of these dudes and the one compound, the compound to the right is just slightly, ever so slightly canted. So that way I can see the entire side of the building Mm -hmm. and I see him, but it's, it's like two degrees at 100, 150 yards, <clears throat> meters, whatever. So I launch a grenade over at this dude. And later on, I find out that I had hit the very corner of of this compound. And with those with those two or threes, it's, it, I mean, you can be accurate, but at 150 meters, like, you know, to be accurate by that much, like you're just trying to be within five meters. And technically I was, but I just wasn't deep enough. Yeah. So, um, we're still getting fired at the birds. The helicopters can't shoot at these guys because they don't know who's in these buildings. They don't know if there's women and children or innocents right. in these buildings. So they can't shoot at them, which means they can't which is land strategic as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're there for, the counterinsurgency operation, you, you have to build, you have to touch the hearts and minds of these people. So you, you have to show them that they're, you're there to secure and help support them. Right. But so I mean, like the, like the, the insurgents or like the, Oh yeah. What do you call they them? Use, like Taliban or what yeah, is the their, Taliban at the time? Yeah. So they're, like they're, they're the using, one, yeah, they use those different areas. Uh-huh. They force themselves into these areas and then, use the the civilian populace absolutely um because it's also really hard to tell the difference correct you can't like the dude just throws his ak down and just takes off right so um at this point i'm hearing that they can't land the birds can't land because it's what we call a hot lz yeah a hot landing zone which means they're getting shot at they don't know if these dudes have rpgs they're not going to go get killed because of this like go secure the shit Mm -hmm. and i knew this and without anybody prompting me to i tell i have i have three afghans to my left Mm -hmm. and i tell the one the one that speaks a little bit of english is next to me and i say i tell him in the broken posture that i have we're gonna go get these guys so i push forward and I have my, my rifle up, and at this time, like, the firing had kind of stopped, but we're still returning fire. Like, at one point in time, as I'm returning fire, I, I run out of ammo. I grab a magazine, I reinsert, I reload, and I start 
sending rounds down range. Things stop. I keep looking down the scope. And me and these three Afghans end up going and we secure the outside perimeter of these houses together. And then we go inside these houses and, and clear this house, these houses. And, and as that's happening, the helicopter actually gets to land. What's it look and, like to to clear uh, a place like this? So you're going in and, and making sure that nobody's in there and making sure nobody has weapons. What, what does that look like? As so from the guys that went to like Fallujah and Iraq, I don't know because that shit's scary as fuck. Yeah, that's that clearing a house and clearing a stairwell are the two scariest fucking things in the world. Sure. Um, but to me and those guys, it was very, very general. <clears throat> like if you didn't have a rifle, I didn't give a shit about you. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to make sure <clears throat> the outside, because as we pushed past these buildings, because I knew they were past the buildings, we jumped in this wadi, and a lot of times these are also um, sewage canals. Yeah. And we call them shit wadis, and that's exactly what this was. Like, I jumped in this shit wadi, and I, I radioed over like it's clear, but the bird was already landing, and... <clears throat> And it's crazy because I know I told you I helped load them on. I think I did, but at the same time, like everything is such a it's it's such a yeah. mess. Like, I, maybe it was one of those like the bird wouldn't take off. I don't remember what, but I know I had, I know we had to secure the area for some reason, mm-hmm. and I don't remember exactly what it was. So anyway, uh, we secure that. Like, I we clear the houses. There's just civilians in there. No big deal. Like we start coming back when, when you reach, so you go into a building, you recognize that there's civilians. What what tells you that they're civilians? Do you like frisk them? Yeah. Do they like what does that look like? Women, women and children. Like I had three Afghans, dude. Okay. There's there's no way to actually. It's not a legitimate like raid. It's like I just need to make sure there's no threat here. Okay. It's it's just it's very general, like. I know as much as about what's going on as that person that whose house I just invaded knows what's going on. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Like, there's there's no differentiation at yeah. that point in time. Like, it, it could be the same dudes that were shooting at us. Maybe the, the Taliban threw them $50, which will support their family for half a year, yeah. and said, hey, shoot at these guys and, and dump the AKs in the shit wadi. Yeah. Like, there's no way to tell. Yeah. But at that point, it doesn't matter. Like, the, yeah, as long the as the threat is gone, like that doesn't that's all that you care about. Yeah. So and this is another place where it, it, it kind of gets foggy again because I don't know if this happened I I don't really remember when this happened, but I remember that after this like somehow I I met back up with with the majority force like and then we went on the security halt for some reason. I, I don't remember why. What does that but, mean? Um, it it just means like we went to check on everybody. Like, gotcha. is everybody is everybody good? Does everybody have ammo? Does everybody have water? Mm-hmm. Is anybody hurt? Mm. And I ended up kind of taking control because as we were doing that, we got shot at again. And 
um, I ended up taking control of that same Marine squad that I said I wasn't worried about, but had their one, two, and three yeah. taken out. Like I ended up taking control of that squad and commanding and controlling that squad because my lieutenant was elsewhere. And so that was, that actually got written up for an award because I wow. mean, I, I went from being in a, a personnel administrator, like pushing papers and yeah. being what we call an admin bitch to like taking over this infantry squad. And yeah. that's not my job. Yeah. So, and I mean, the rest of the deployment really was like, it was a mishmash of, of things like that. And I, I always found myself like when things happened and people got hurt, like, I always found myself being the first guy there to treat the situation. I, I, I've always enjoyed medical things and I, we didn't have a doc on my, on my team. So I Is that common? wanted, well, I mean, my deployment wasn't a common deployment either. Yeah. So we just didn't have enough, enough docs to go around. We, we had five teams and I think we only had four docs, but, I had established myself so well as being capable of maintaining, excuse me, the, the medical element of it, that they weren't as worried about having a doc on my team. Sure. So, I mean, we, we got hit with my, my convoy got hit with an IED. Um, my Afghan gunner got, took a lot of shrapnel in the leg and I was the guy that treated him like, Mm -hmm. And this is Things later like on. That. Yeah, that was later on. And I mean, the, the deployment, we got shot at a bunch more times and stuff like that. But I mean, we took very few casualties. We were very fortunate. All 21 of us that went out there um, from my team, my Marine Corps team, we all came back. None of us got shot. None of us got hurt. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we had a couple um, Purple Hearts, but yeah. it was it was IEDs and concussions and some minor some minor issues like yeah. nobody got seriously hurt or maimed mm-hmm. and so we were we were really fortunate yeah man but what was so uh how long were you in afghanistan nine months. say that um, one more time nine months nine from months. march to just before christmas so this is about the first time you had been shot at, this story you just told that was, was about the first half time of, I had been shot at. Yeah, anyway. this was half, almost halfway though, like through your your time there. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was about a third of the way through. Yeah, about halfway, somewhere between there. Yeah, and and did it just go up from there? Did like did you just have more encounters as time went on? I I went from. Wondering if I was ever going to get a combat action ribbon, ever going to get shot at, to like, all right, this is normal. <laughs> I'll put yeah. it that way. Yeah. And we weren't even like the hottest position. Uh, my my best friend in the world, a man that I consider my daughter's uncle, my brother, mm-hmm. um, that dude was getting shot at almost daily. Yeah. His name is Adette and Semo, and his story, that is somebody I'm going to put you in touch with because you want to interview that motherfucker. His story is incredible. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than well willing to, more than welcome to. 
Um, so was that your, was that the only time you were in, in active duty or in Afghanistan? What, what do, what all like, I don't even know where to go from here to be completely honest, <laughs> Travis. So, so like take the lead wherever you want to take, you know, this conversation. Right. But, um, so from there, that's when, uh, that's when life really got interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you're on deployment, deployment's easy because the way my psychiatrist explained it is you, you slip into kind of this Neanderthal mentality of like, nothing really matters. Mm. Like you wake up and don't die. Yeah. And you learn to shut off parts of your brain with like sympathy and empathy to a certain extent. Obviously you're still going to have that, but you learn to shut those things off and you learn to, to live that way, especially when you're doing it for nine months. And there's a reason the Marine Corps only has like seven month deployments Mm -hmm. because the Marine Corps has done the studies and like these army deployments of like 12 months, 24 months. Those are insane. I don't know how, I don't know how they expect these guys to, to leave for 12 months, have two weeks of leave in between that and then, then go do another, you know, 12 months. Like it's insane. You can't do that. You're, you're ruining people as, as, a, as people. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> you get back and naturally you think I'm fine. But then you have things like a door slams and you jump and Mm -hmm. like you catch on to these little things. And, and when I got back, you know, not like anything changed because I was pretty much an alcoholic before I left. And I continued to be, to drink a lot to binge drink. But the thing is, is it was different this time. Like I was drinking for a reason and what i came to realize later on is it was survivor's remorse even though nobody Mm -hmm. died Mm -hmm. but i was a very very good point man for my team and i felt like i should have been the point man for the guy that got hit by the ied Mm -hmm. and it took me years to realize that no it shouldn't have been that way like the dude that was there should have been there like that was it yeah. was their operation but that doesn't you don't use logic necessarily when you're when you're going through these things so it i started drinking a lot when i finally got back to my unit i started uh <clears throat> on a weekday like i wasn't working out or anything so i would come home and i would i would drink a six pack and it started with a six pack and that lasted about i don't know a week and that six pack turned into a 12 pack mm-hmm. and that lasted maybe two weeks, and we're talking every night with this. Yeah, every night, and I had pretty much had nine months sober, so a six pack worked for a while. Yeah. Well, the twelve pack turned into it was a it was a half a bottle of Captain, and at the time I was living in the barracks, so you're not allowed to have hard liquor. Yeah. But. It was it was a half a bottle of Captain, and I did that for a couple of days, and it was a bottle of Captain, and half a bottle of vodka, a whole bottle of vodka, and within a month, I had finished a bottle of wild turkey mm-hmm. in a night. Um, and this is where I really want to get into the the mental health side of things, and and coming back to 
to society after after deployment. So I didn't realize it, but this whole time, so this had all happened within a month. Where where were this, you at at this, this time? Okinawa, Japan. Still. Okay, you were you were back in Japan. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So this escalation of essentially alcoholism, or at least alcohol abuse, yeah, had only taken a month, month and a half tops. And I, unbeknownst to me, like I was kind of doing the right things. Like I was going to people that I thought I, I could reach out to, to help me out with these issues. Mm-hmm. But none of them, like I would always get frustrated and be like, you don't fucking know what you're talking about because they, they just hadn't been on the same deployment. Yeah. So what, eventually I just started. What were the go- quote issues? If you don't mind me asking, like what, what was it that like, what were you reliving or avoiding or what was the thing that you, you talked about the remorse, but like, were you reliving those moments? What was that? What was that experience? Yeah. The, the biggest thing was just the survivor's remorse. And like I said, and that's the only way that's, that's what I call it because it's what most people feel when people actually, when people around them actually get killed, but nobody got killed around me sure like, but the, the effects are the same it's just yeah. that's the term i i, I understand um, what you're saying and it i think it was just it was a lot of things the fact that i i left afghans there that um you know i really cared about like and knowing that war was never going to end for them yeah um, that sucked and these guys had families and kids and and everything and and they wanted to do it but they they were away from these people and and but they were so bad, regardless of how well trained my guys were. You know, you're you're fighting an endless war, and I knew that. And just it was it was it was reliving those things um, over and over. And and I remember when I was in Afghanistan, I I had I had a a gunny tell me, "You don't drink to forget. You don't drink to or you don't drink to forget. You drink to remember." Yeah. And at the time, I was like, shut up, old man. You know what you're talking about. You know, bullshit, bullshit, 21-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. And this dude was, uh, come to find out later, like, he was sober because he he had his struggles with alcoholism. Yeah. And, uh, or at least alcohol use. Um, I don't want to say alcoholism because yeah. I, I don't know that much about it. I just knew I looked up to him a lot. Mm-hmm. He was a fantastic figure. Um, but so I remember the night I went to wild Turkey, um, and I finished the whole bottle. Why, why do you think that's significant to you? Well, I'm, I'm going to get there. Okay. So, you know, it was throughout this month, month and a half, it was, it was a lot of me either going to somebody looking for help, them not being able to to like actually relate and me telling them like they're pussies or whatever and walking out of the room or whatever it is. Um, but this night I, I drank that bottle and I, I called a lot of people and one of the last people I called the last person I called was my mom and it was late. It was probably two or three in the morning for me. And, uh, I called her and I was talking to her and I was, I was crying and I was in the corner of my bed and, 
And I remember the fucked up part is, mind you, like Turkey's 101 proof, and I remember all of it. And she told me, Travis, I don't know what I can do for you. Yeah. And uh, that was that was huge. Was that because more the answer you were looking for? No, that's <laughs> it was the opposite. Okay. Um, I I didn't want to hear that answer at all. I, I I wanted I wanted help. I wanted somebody to tell me like it was going to be okay. And I'm not saying she didn't say that, but I, I guess I'm this, I guess I asked that because you know you had you had said you gone to multiple people beforehand. You know, and yeah. their answers weren't sufficient enough for you. And I don't, yeah. and I guess from, from my perspective that like, I see that what if your mom had given you an answer? What would that, what have that have done for you? How would that have given you any more resolve than, than not? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's why I asked that question because it seems like it's not necessarily something that anybody could solve for you. It was something you had to go through and figure out. Looking at it now, she gave me the answer I needed to hear. Right. Um, because I, I knew my mom couldn't help. Yeah. But I needed I needed somebody. And and the reason I got pissed off at other people when they when they couldn't help me is because I was comparing what I went through to what they went through. And looking back at it now, it's it's not that their emotions were any different or they felt any different. But I was judging what I went through compared to what they went through. And I was like, oh, you're a bitch. Like, you didn't do shit. Yeah. And that's that's not the case. Like, you know, you can almost get hit by a car and have those that same reaction I did. Yeah. Like, it, it's just the person and how things affect them. But at 21, I didn't understand that. Sure. So my mom told me the thing I needed to hear, but she was the only one that it, it resonated with. Like mm-hmm. it resonated when, when she said, I can't help you. And I don't know what to say. Like that's when things clicked. And for like the next two months, I literally like I would get off work and I would, I would lock myself in my room. And I was a pretty popular guy because I was working at, the the office that I was working at, like everybody had to go in there. Yeah. So I knew everybody. I'd helped everybody. And throughout this process of, of me, that month and a half where I was just drinking, there was many times where like my bosses, I, I'm still close with almost all of them because they looked out for me so much. Um, because there was a lot of times where I, I wouldn't, I would sleep, in and and they would never get mad at me they never punished me they you know they they kind of just without asking which is something that i think we need to start doing but they they never asked and they just let me do my thing Mm -hmm. and um but they just understood that i was i was going through saying through things and um I'm so grateful for the the things that they did and they, they could have really cracked down on me and maybe it would have worked, but I I don't think it would have at the time. 
but it's it's one of those things that as leaders and with mental health that those are the signs those are the signs that you you need to start getting involved yeah and but i mean this was 2010 so it wasn't as prevalent as it is now so you know but it's these things that that really helped me pull myself out of it and uh, but i still even after that stuff, I, I still, I never went to talk to anybody. I never went to talk to psychiatrists. I never brought it up again. I just, uh, I kind of dealt with it myself and, and I cut out alcohol and I learned how to consume alcohol to not affect those things. And I, I, I learned how to just cope with it and manage it. Yeah. And, but it, it didn't go away. It never goes away. It's still it's still with me mm-hmm. every day. So I Do you think about it every day. At this point in time, I don't I don't think about it. But I know that there are things that I do. Like I still check corners. Yeah. So I'll I'll look around corners if it's not my house. Um, at work, I check corners. Um, I check windows. I, I'm just hyper vigilant when I, it's hard for me to focus in restaurants mm-hmm. and public places because I'm, I'm looking at people, I'm looking at doors, I'm looking at people's hands. Mm-hmm. So it, it is hard for me to focus in that aspect. So technically, yes, I think about it every day, but it, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing at this point in time. I've accepted it as a part of my life. And I don't think it's a bad thing that I'm hypervigilant. Mm-hmm. So, because, I mean, maybe one day it'll save my life. Yeah. So, it's, you know, that aspect is, is okay. But. As you look to the future, this is this is something we talked about the other day, but I know, you know, your experience and the things that you've gone through have really... Uh, propelled you I guess forward into the future and and kind of looking forward you're now um, enrolled into your next stage of life uh, education wise yeah yeah Um, there's a lot of things that uh, that brought that upon excuse me but uh, so there's a lot of reasons. So I, I finally decided that, uh, I want to move forward with, uh, some of my education and I'm going to start off with a bachelor's degree in psychology and eventually the retirement plan after I get done with, uh, this stint of imagery analysis, I want to be a VA psychiatrist. Yeah. And, one of the big reasons is it took me like two or three years to actually go talk to a psychiatrist. And the funny story about how I got there, and this is going to sound crazy, but so I was watching one of my bosses on deployment was at this time I'm stationed in um, Camp Pendleton, California. And one of my bosses from deployment, who's one of my best friends, he's my brother. Um, he was stationed out there as well. So he was one of the 2010, 2011 time. 
2012? Probably 2012, okay. around this time. So we were, and, and we kind of had figured out, like, this was a time that we had kind of crossed paths in some ways and didn't even know it. Uh, I was in yeah. San Diego until uh, I left December, like, mid-December, early December 2012. And uh, you would have been there around that same time, so. Yeah, because I got out there around 2000, early 2011, I think. I got out there, maybe to. Uh, yeah, it would have been 2011. Yeah. So yeah, we we had definitely crossed paths, and and we didn't even know it. Same general area. Mm-hmm. Um, but so at this point, um, I got out there, and I was getting ready. I had already decided I was changing jobs. I met up with, uh, you know, his name's Ryan. Um, he's my brother for life. We've helped each other through all this stuff because he he struggled with this stuff a lot more than I did. And, uh, like it was, it was really hard for him years later, he was still going through a lot of stuff and it seems like he's finally got some stuff figured out, but I was watching his house one night. He had, he had gone on vacation or something and I was talking to my girlfriend at the time and this is going to sound crazy, but I start hearing my phone click while I'm in a conversation with her and I just get this spike of anxiety and I hang up on her. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give it a couple minutes. I'm going to call her back. So yeah. I call her back and I start hearing the clicks again. In my mind, somebody was tapping my phone. Mm. And is that something you had experienced before? Or is this no, just like paranoia no. in some ways? But the thing was, is she was from Taiwan. And with my job, it wasn't like it was known that I was dating her, but it wasn't really acceptable. Yeah. So I had all that stuff in my mind, too. So I was like, shit, somebody's tapping my phone. I hung up on her. Well, then I'm sitting there and I just get this. I guess it could be considered a panic attack. Because I'm like, man, they're going to come through like the doors and everything. So I ended up calling the the only thing I could think to do was call the suicide hotline. Yeah. And I, I wasn't suicidal. I wasn't going to kill myself. But I, I didn't know what the hell else to do. Yeah. Because I was like, obviously, this is this is because of some of the, the experiences I had. I got to talk to somebody. So I ended up talking to this dude. He was in the Navy. Uh, helped me out a lot. And the conclusion that I came to was I needed to go talk to a psychiatrist. Yeah. So I talked to a psychiatrist. And I'm seeing this lady for about two months in total I ended up seeing her and the first three sessions that we had were like the first two were like background information and it's for an hour a piece once a week so first two sessions three sessions were you know how do you feel all that bullshit whatever what happened this week da 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 well being in the community that I am, I'm very caught up and keen to um, current events and stuff like that. So it ended up getting to the point where I am very self. I'm a very self-aware individual. Like I understand most of the time how I'm feeling, and I can figure out why I'm feeling that way. Whether I'm tired or I need caffeine or I'm, you know, irritated because of this or I'm letting this get to me. I'm, I'm a very self-aware individual. It got to the point where, like, 
I would spend the first 15 minutes of our conversations like breaking down myself, self-analyzing and explaining to her how I felt, why I felt that way and what I can do to correct it. And then I just, the last 30, 45 minutes were just me spinning her up on current events. She was useless. I mean, maybe not to the point where she helped me realize that I can do this myself. But that was really where I learned that um, we need good, good psychiatrists and psychologists in the VA and people that can actually help people that are that are going through things that can't do the things for themselves that I was able to do for myself. Sure. And that's led you to the psychology route that that now you want to to go and and to re almost reinvest into the community and into the people that that you feel needed the most in in some way, I guess. That's that's what laid led me to the final destination. That's where I want to be at. Yeah. The thing that actually got me there because. There's a couple of reasons I put off college. I put off college for one because I was I was scared. I was I was worried about going to college. Like it was intimidating to do something that you know, when you're a guy like me and you have so many interests, um, you don't want to go spend a bunch of money or waste your GI bill on something that you don't know that you're going to want to do for the rest of your life, or you're yeah. you're just going to want to spend a ton of money on. Like I, I didn't know what to do and. The fact that I've never really had to study and I don't know how to study and I have to learn how to study and on top of everything else, like, so there was, I had, I'd finally learned what I want, wanted to do, but it wasn't until after I found out that one of my former Marines had, had killed himself. Yeah. That was when it, it kind of clicked because this was, this was a kid that, I had pulled into my room nights that I lived in the barracks and, and just conversed with and yeah. and had a talk to and and just learned him and showed him that that I too was human. I wasn't just Sergeant Gallinger that was an asshole all the time and, and just yelled at people and was angry. Like I'm I'm a human and I want to get to know you and I want to learn who you are and how to be a better leader and it was that night that things kind of clicked for me Mm -hmm. that like, this is something that I, I did my entire career. Like I was there for Marines Mm -hmm. and to, to bring it around. Like one thing that, that you and I talked about is since I got out of the Marine Corps in 2015, my life has been wild. It's, it's been crazy from, um, breaking up with my girlfriend at the time right after the Marine Corps to getting back together with her to getting her pregnant to getting a paternity test because I didn't know if it was mine to being a dad. And in that time, like I had moved from California to DC and I have my kid and she's a couple months old and I moved from DC to Missouri trying to make the relationship work again. It fails like, I think I was depressed in those like three years. Yeah. And, um, it wasn't until I think 
two months ago, maybe, that I've really tried to, you know, I had somebody tell me this, somebody that I, I held a lot of respect for, um, that she told me, you're a miserable asshole. And it was, it was an ex it, that she was the sweetest person, would never talk shit about anybody. And so I knew that, like, when she said that, I wasn't sure that you ever actually cared for me because you never showed me any affection. Um, when, you know, when somebody that sweet tells you something like that, like it, it really, it's a kick in the dick. Yeah. And so I, I really reassessed my life and, and we weren't even together at this point. Like she, she told me this afterwards and I will, I will thank her forever because she, she really did. Like she's the reason why I made the changes that, that I'm trying to make right now. And yeah. And, and just being happy. And that's, that's kind of where this all comes from is the resilience is the biggest thing when it comes to this mental health stuff, especially for veterans and why I think as a VA psychologist, I have something that I can give back to the community because we all are capable of that resilience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, man, I really appreciate your story so much and, and, just your vulnerability, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown, but she has a quote that says, you know, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And, um, you know, I think that that's a, a big part of, you know, one of the things that even in the beginning of this podcast, how you talked about, like you, you want to be able to let other military members, other Marines know like, man, this is my story. This is what I'm going through and you're not alone. And, and, whatever way that that is, you know, and, and to reach other people. And I think that, again, I, I have no idea, you know, like I, I can't, I've lived in the safest place I ever could have, you know, and I, I've never experienced anything like you have. And I just appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And I have a few questions as we kind of begin to kind of close things out, I guess. And one of those questions is, what do you look forward to most in the future? Watching my daughter grow. Mm. Like that's, that's the very first thing that comes to mind. My daughter, like I always wanted a boy growing up, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a family of three boys, um, a lot of my cousins, I only have, <clears throat> on my dad's side, I only have two female cousins. Um, and that's who I mostly grew up around. And she, I could gush for her, for gush over her for hours. Like she's, there's nothing more than I needed. You know, we're, I'm not a religious person, but if, if there is like a God's plan, then he knew I needed a fucking daughter. Yeah. Um, because she has done more for me 
than I could ever explain. She she's made me such a better person. So it's beautiful. You know, for my the first thing I I think of is I I I can't wait to watch her grow. Secondly, um, I think the biggest goal is to to wake up every day and and just be positive or at least more positive than I was yesterday. Yeah. I don't have to be the guy that the guy or the girl that, that walks around that's just happy as shit and just chipper mm-hmm. and and just you know, whether his or her life is perfect, like I just need to be a little bit happier every day. Yeah. And and it's we were talking about Gary uh, Gary what's his name Gary the other v, day Gary Varner yeah Chuck. Gary V and I was thinking about my grandfather my grandfather passed away a couple of years ago and uh, <clears throat> I've had a lot of Gary V's like growing up I had a lot of Gary V's theories uh, in my head I just didn't have yeah. the multi millions that he did um, but my grandfather shit, years and years ago mm-hmm. put it to me the same way Gary V did and you know I come in and I'm like Hey grandpa, how you doing? And he's like, I'm good, but even if I was bad, no one would give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> I like that line too. My my grandpa always used to say that as uh um Wow, what's the how's the saying go? It's uh Oh no I'll think one about, would listen to you anyway. Yeah, no one or, would listen to me anyway, yeah. Like Yeah, and it's How are you today? Like is. I'm good. Like, you know, nothing to complain about. Nobody would listen to me if I did anyway. You know, yeah. like that kind and, of concept. Yeah. And it's, you know, as a kid, you're like, wow, that's a, that's pretty morbid. Even if you think that way, you're like, that's a pretty morbid way to think about it. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really true. And to be honest, like, you shouldn't think about it either. Yeah. Yeah. There's just and, so much more to, more to go on. And it's easier said than done. I mean, it's, it's a practice that. You just have to continually like challenge yourself with, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. It is. And it, it starts from the second you wake up. Yeah. Literally like, because I, it was two months ago. The first thing I would think of was something negative. Like I shouldn't be paying this fucking child support. Right. I shouldn't be struggling this hard, even though I have a great job. Like, yeah, those were the things I would think. And now it's just like, all right, which song do I want to bump to this morning? Or, yeah. you know, let me let me go look at my daughter, even though perspective, she's still asleep. Perspective, yeah, just changing yeah, your perspective, yeah. It is, and and those are those are the big two things. And yeah. finally, I think it is. Uh, I'm I shouldn't be, but at this point in time, I'm, I'm a big financial guy. Like I want to, I want to get my fan, financials in yeah. in order. I want to be, I want to get everything. Nothing wrong with that. I just that. want to be comfortable. Yeah. So, yeah. My other that, question. That answers your questions. Yeah, absolutely. Looking back, what advice would you tell little Travis? <sighs> Man. Um... Freshman year of high school. Shit. You could look back and you could whisper something into little it's, Travis's ear. What would you say? Diet, like eat, eat right. 
I, because it's, it's one of those, like, anything negative that happened in my life, I've always looked at something, especially, like, freshman year forward. Like, anything senior year back, anything that happened to me, like, I had a rough childhood, but to me, it was, there are, diamonds require fucking pressure. Yeah. And, and that's, I can't be babied. I can't be, like, handled with white gloves. Like, I, I have to be raised the exact way I was. Yeah. And it was rough, and it, it fucking sucked, and I got the shit kicked out of me sometimes, but and I'll, I'll tell my dad this to this day, like I fucking hated my dad. Yeah. But, and it took me a long time to repair that, but all of those things are what made me who I am today. And it, it to this day, even though my struggles are completely different. So I don't know. I, I would like, I would just say, Stop worrying about cutting so much weight and not eating and just fucking eat a shit ton of, of clean food and just get massive. Like, that's what I would tell myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's because awesome. as soon as I stopped trying to cut weight, dude, I got massive. Yeah. I put on so much goddamn weight and I look so good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Do you ever think about your legacy? All the time. When you look Once back you in your a, life, what what do you want your legacy to be? It's crazy because I, as as a father, I want I want Ava to know that I was always there for her, and mm. that that there's nothing that there's nothing more than I wanted to do than be a dad, yeah. and. And, um, yeah, you got me tearing up just so, well, I guess I have myself tearing up over this, but it's, man, being a dad is, is, it's the greatest thing ever. I, I love my daughter more than anything. And I just, yeah, I, I want to be the greatest dad that I can be to her. And, uh, I want to show her that, uh, that there's, that you can change and, and that I've done a lot of it and mm -hmm. whatever you decide to do, whether it, you can just, you can do life however you want to. Yeah. Really. And, and it's just up to you to, to how to do it. Now, when it comes to everybody else, because my daughter, obviously the legacy with my daughter is different. Yeah. The legacy with everybody else is I, I want them I want I want to be the people that don't it, this is kind of a Brantley Gilbert thing but it's uh he's got a song I <laughs> yeah. think it's uh like most people most people do most people don't I, I don't know I know but it's one of those yeah. yes it's it's one of those and it's something that I've that it's it's been my life like most people that that like me love me. Most people that don't trust me or that, that don't trust anybody trust me. And most people that like don't love anybody love me. Yeah. 
it's it's one of those like if you don't if you meet me the the first time you meet me the chances are you're not gonna like me <laughs> yeah but eventually if you keep coming around you're gonna realize that i'm i'm a good dude yeah and i'm honest and i don't sugarcoat shit and i'm gonna give you like i'm i'm gonna give you good advice and eventually you know that whatever you need i'm gonna be there yeah whether it's to you know move things from your house or it doesn't matter like i'm i'm just there yeah and the the ones that love me or the ones that know me love me and that's that's really it's been a staple of my life man and if you don't care to get to know me then i don't fucking care yeah so that's that's kind of what i want my legacy to be and my casket because i want my casket to be totally clean and i want people to have permanent markers and i want them to write whatever the fuck they want on my on my <laughs> casket and there's going to be plenty of dicks drawn and i yeah. know it. <laughs> travis that's a great way to end it right there i appreciate you coming on this show and sharing your story so much we we filled you know almost three hours and uh man i know that we got more to talk about i know i know man i know there's so much to talk about that's what i was getting ready to say uh and and here's my my thing is uh, come visit me in florida I, I want to. All right. Um, let you me gotta, get things sorted out, and I'm there, man. You got an open invitation. I got a spare bedroom that's got your name on it, and uh, awesome. I'd love to come and spend some time with you. It's it's crazy to see and, and to think about how our story and how our relationship and how our friendship is. Uh, you know, again, we haven't talked to each other in ten years, probably. You know. Oh, I, easily. Um. Like, I don't think we've talked to each other since I was in high school. Yeah, but like, I might have called you drunk a couple times. <laughs> I think you have. I think you have. Yeah, I think you. Pretty uh, sure I have. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you have too. But <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, no, I, I just, I just really appreciate you, you coming on the show and sharing your story, and and you know, I think that, you know, your future is bright, and I think, I just look forward to seeing you grow and seeing you continue to develop uh, as a man and and uh just know that i'm always here you know and and if you need me just give me a call much appreciated brother and uh the next time while while you're uh well the the podcast you did by yourself was not bad the next time you want to do one (laughs) uh give me a call so i can interview you deal like deal (laughs) it'll be it'll be a little better all right deal i'll give you a call next time next time i uh i need to fill in like that uh, i'll I'll give you a call for sure yeah and i'm always available well i'm available when i don't have my daughter so go ahead man all right sounds good dude thank you so much much. i really appreciate it i i really do honestly like from the bottom of my heart i really appreciate your your vulnerability and you sharing so openly with your story so thank you so much i i most i most appreciate you giving me the platform to to give my not just my story like i i don't i don't really care about my story my the biggest thing for me is is getting out with the the veteran and active mental health like and it it goes beyond those that have gotten out 
like us as leaders, even in the active or reservists, it, it doesn't matter. We need to be more cognizant of these things and we need to see these signs. And, and these are things that friends, family, everybody needs to be cognizant of. Absolutely. And if we can get as, as a fighting force, if, if we can be more open to sharing our stories, Mm-hmm. Because the people that matter in your life don't know what what you're going through unless they know what you've been through. Absolutely. Thank you and so much, man. Yeah, it's it's important. So you gotta, thank you, gotta, thank you for giving me this opportunity. You got a platform anytime you need it. Hey, listen up, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show today, visit us on Facebook and Instagram. Comment on the post. Like the post. If you want to go above and beyond, get the word out share the crazy face Uno podcast with your friends and family or just subscribe random strangers subscribe and subscribe again <laughs> or just random strangers on the street we're welcome to everyone please visit crazyfaceuno.com buy our merchandise or donate if that's what you choose to do your contribution helps us share more stories like travis's and stories just like yours we appreciate you we love you all thanks again for listening peace